now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Welcome to another Fastened Like Nails. I have in the studio with me today, Colin Smith. Colin, welcome. Thank you for having me, Mark. And Colin, you're here this week to teach on the subject of Christmas. Yes, it's been a wonderful week. Students are amazing. We've had a blast. Okay. And Mark, I think you're going to be blown away when you see their final project. I can't wait. That's tomorrow. Yes. Okay, so, but you're teaching on Christmas from a different perspective, a perspective I've never heard before. I attended your first class. I was blown away. I had no idea. And, of course, we're not here today with our co-host, Molly Mayo. Molly, um, praise God, you have a healthy um, baby little niece that was born two days ago, 19 inches, eight pounds. We're really excited for you. Hallelujah. Yeah. That, congratulations. Yeah, Molly and family. Uh, Gabby and uh, Stephen, we uh, praise God that you have brought a new life into the world, an eternal soul. Isn't that something that we I, get to bring an eternal soul into? I know it. And that little child couldn't have the best, a better aunt in the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> Molly, we miss you. And uh, we look forward to your soon return, which is going to be Saturday. Yay! Okay, so Christmas. So the very first um, subject that you taught on was different because you not only taught it from the Bible, you taught it from history, and the two kind of came together. And I was like, whoa, I have never seen this before. And I told you this before. Years ago, several decades ago, I struggled with Christmas. I used to get depressed during Christmas time. We didn't have a lot of money. I couldn't buy the gifts that my children really I wanted to give them. So there's a little bit of shame and guilt in my life during that time. My dad was extremely poor growing up, and he struggled uh, during the holidays as well. I remember that growing up. It was really hard for him. We didn't have a lot of money back then either. And so I think for some men, some men may go through more depression and anxiety and, and shame during the Christmas season. But about 25 years ago, that changed in my life radically just by listening to one message from my pastor. His name was Pastor Greening back then. Mm. And he preached a message on the importance of gift giving at Christmas because of the greatest gift that was ever given, God's Son. And after hearing that message, it was like, whoa, it took the emphasis off of what I couldn't give but what I could give, and it transformed my in the next 25 years of looking forward, not only looking forward to Christmas, but celebrating it in a way that you just can't wait for it to occur. To, to occur. Mm. So, okay, so Colin, where does Christmas, where does it start? Is it a, is it a biblical tradition that we have? or Because some people don't like celebrating because we don't really know the date exactly and so forth. Well, this is something I struggled with a lot, enjoying Christmas. And... Uh, no way. I'll tell you why in a second, but here's where I want to start. I want to start roughly 500 years before Jesus was born. Okay. And not in Israel. Babylon? Babylon. No way. In, the, in, a, in a bedroom, in a palace, and there's a king laying on a bed having a fevered nightmare. Ooh, Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. And he's on his bed and he's dreaming. And, and he wakes up. And he pronounces that if anyone could tell him his dream, he'll reward them. But if anyone can't tell him his dream, he's going to cut them into pieces and burn their house up. It's a wonderful Christmas story start, right? Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, the sleepless night is a Christmas theme. Oh, interesting. Charles Dickens, uh -huh. kids can't get to bed before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So this story is chiastic. You know, it, it's, it goes in a mirror pattern where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he's troubled. 
And by the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes Daniel as the true interpreter of dreams, but really not Daniel, God interprets dreams. And then you have this idea of Nebuchadnezzar calling all of these wizards together and these soothsayers and interpreters, and they can't answer it in chapter two. And at the end, you have this idea of Daniel revealing the dream and being the guy who can answer it. Okay, tell me, tell me. Um, are we talking about Christmas or you're talking about... Like... Yes, I am. <laughs> well, so what you have, though, is is the Chaldeans confess they can't do it. But on the opposite, on the other end of the story, Daniel points out that he can do it through the power of his God can do it. Daniel speaks in two points to this, this captain of the guard, Ariok. And right in the middle, chiastically, of Daniel chapter 2 is Daniel 2 through 22, 16 through 23. And do you know what that says? Nope. It says, Daniel receives revelation and he acknowledges that only God can control time, future, and the events. Hmm. Okay. And just so, so folks, folks know, chiastically, when you say the word chiastically, it's the Greek letter, looks like the English X. Yes. And it's written from both sides of that X character. And then the center, as it crosses through the center, the very center of that letter X or letter key yeah. is the crossroads of the central meaning. And so you're, Absolutely. you're bringing things into the center. Yes. What's, I'm, the, what's the center? So, yeah, it's the idea of rhyming ideas. The Bible rhymes ideas, and mm. it does it in these patterns. And when ideas are rhymed from the outside in, the center is the, is the idea. And so the idea of the, the dream is that God is working in time and space, and he's in control. And that's going to be the interpreting principle behind Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Mm-hmm. So there's this statue, right? And at the top is gold, and that represents Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Babylon, okay. And then the next is silver, and that represents Persia. Persia. Mm-hmm. And the next is bronze, that represents Greece. Greece. And the next is iron mixed with clay, and that represents Rome. And then this rock, this unhewn, uncut rock, comes out of nowhere like a meteorite and smashes the iron and clay. Mm. And the whole tower or the whole idol comes crumbling down. down. Mm -hmm. And what this is symbolizing is that God is control of time and space, just like he told Daniel. He's in control of history. And all of these events from Babylon to Persia to Greece to Rome are all leading up to this rock. And it's, it's the rock that the builders rejected. Mm-hmm. The uncut Christ. stone, okay. Jesus. And he hits and he becomes a mountain. And that mountain grows up and it becomes bigger than the statue and covers the whole earth. And this is God's plan. Okay, so there you have it, folks. The Christmas tree is represented by the idol <laughs> no. of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, let me... Well, no, well, let me let me go back. So there's this idea that, that um, when we have... What you have here is you have... Nebuchadnezzar is king of kings, lord of lords. Well, Colin, if you don't bring this around and help me to understand, I, I will. am so lost. I will, I promise, Mark. Okay. So the title Nebuchadnezzar has is king of kings, lord of lords. It says that. That yeah. title passes to Persia. That title passes to Greece. That title passes to Rome. And then it passes to Jesus. King of kings. Yes. Whoa. Not only, so Jesus takes the place. He replaces mm. the pagan culture, and he grows bigger than it. So, let me go to Christmas. Grows bigger than it because he is the meteor rock that destroys everything. So, Christianity is not supposed to be complete opposite to culture. It's supposed to replace the culture. Mm, Oh, that's good. Okay, wait, wait, wait. It says Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. He's talking about, I will build my church right on top of the dead gods of this world. Because the gates of hell, he's not... 
he's not, the gates of hell are not coming against the church. We, as the church, are going against the gates of hell and replacing all of the idolatry of this world. Yes. Oh, that's good. So even more, there is a celebration in Babylon called Zagmuk. Do you want it takes? Do you want to know when it takes place? December seventeenth to twenty fourth. Come on! It's a celebration of a father and a son, and they give gifts and they go on parades. Wow! Do you know what happens? It, it keeps going on all the way through the Wait, Persian. This is through in Babylon. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's day, huh. and so it goes on all the way through to Greece, and in Greece the god Marduk becomes Zeus, and Marduk's dad becomes Zeus's father, Cronus. And so you have the Cronia, the celebration of the father and the son, and they gave gifts. Slaves were freed for a day. They celebrated freedom, and it was a golden age, the mm. Cronia. Well, then you come to Rome. Zeus turns into Jupiter, Jupiter, and Kronos turns into Saturn, and you have the Saturnalia. The Saturnalia is, is the same thing. It's a celebration. They gave gifts. The Romans, we have accounts of Romans giving gifts. We have accounts of Romans marching through the streets, parading. They gave gag gifts. They celebrated. We even have accounts of people who hated it because they were grumpy. And they, they said <laughs> the city was a bustle and everyone's throwing off the toga and everyone's celebrating. So, and we have accounts of how magical it was. So the temptation is to think, well, that's pagan. Mm-hmm. But you know what happens in 400 Christmas replaces Saturnalia. And so this is the moment where a lot of people say, well, in 400, Pope Julius says, no longer is Rome going to celebrate Christmas as a Saturnalia. They're going to celebrate Christmas. Hmm. Jesus' birth is going to be replaced. And this is a point where a lot of Christians say, well, it's a pagan holiday, right? Mm -hmm. I say, no. Is the title Lord of Lords and King of Kings pagan? Hmm. No. The traditions in the culture passed down from Babylon to Persia, Persia to Greece, Greece to Rome, are smashed by Jesus and replaced by him. Mm. And that's where we get Christmas from. Wow, that's beautiful. It's the true fulfillment of what should have always been there. Wow. It's finally come. Celebration of a father to his son. Yes. Oh, that is, and giving gifts? Yes. Giving gifts to one another? Giving gifts to one another, to the Whoa. poor. The, and the thing setting about it is free. setting slaves free. Oh, that's so cool. And, <gasps> and Colin, that's our job as Christians. We're to set the captives free. Yes, yes, yes. So what, what Saturnalia was, was Whoa. it was a shadow of the things to come, but it wasn't the greater. The thing, the later was the greater, Jesus. And Just like Jesus is greater than Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. Cyrus the Great, Alexander, or or Julius Caesar, Jesus replaces all of it, and he's greater. Okay, so that just, just my mind is like, I feel like I'm going to blow up. It's So my gift-giving over Christmas isn't just physical gift-giving, but my gift-giving is really giving the gift of the Savior to the world. Yes, we have a responsibility oh, to celebrate so it at levels that the Greeks and the Romans never imagined. Oh, that is so good. Oh, We wow. proclaim him. Whoa, this is so good. We have the greatest gift in all of the universe. So we have the biggest celebration. Yes, that's so good. We have the more, most cause to celebrate than anyone. Oh, this changes. This is a game changer. You know, because now the people that we invite into our homes, the people that we invite into the celebration, we're celebrating what Jesus gave to this world. He came to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to raise the dead. Not physical dead, but the dead that don't know God as their Savior so they can have eternal life and have become part of the family of God. Absolutely. And Mark, can I take it a step further? Absolutely. Let's go to First John, or John chapter 1. Okay. The first chapter of John. There are two chiasms, uh, chiastic structures, these parallel structures of ideas. 
And I'm not the first one to think of this, actually. I was at a conference in Nashville, and I heard these two chiastic structures. I think I've taught this before. They must have done it for me. So the first chiastic structure structure is in the first few verses. In the beginning was the The Word, word, the Word word was, was and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, the same, was in the beginning. So on either end is in the beginning. On either side is the Word, and the same was. Then the Word, and the Word was. Right in the middle is two things about the Word, or the Logos. He was with God, and he was God. Mm. So right at the beginning, you have a chiasm that explains God. Okay, so just for those people that might come across some cults that teach that Jesus is not God, all you have to do is, okay, I know there are some cults that take this scripture and distort it, but if you look at it closely, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. Um, that phrase is, to me, is is a um, the sign the deal. This is who yep. Jesus is. But if you go to First John chapter five and you go to the very ending, it talks about Jesus, the Son of God. It says he came into the, and it came into this world, and it talks about him being eternal. And then it says, "This is the true God." Yes, you know. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And when you go to the second chiasm, there's another chiasm, a larger one, in verses one through eighteen. So let me just give you a little bit of the rhyming ideas. The first idea that John rhymes in this section, um, if you want to look at it in your Bibles, I'll give it to you, but just trust me otherwise. Um, It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The parallel idea to verse 1, if you go down in your Bible, is in verse 18. It says, He's in the bosom of the Father, and the Father has declared Him. So this is the idea of, that Jesus is God. And God, Jesus is literally, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Yeah, you've seen the Father. That's a Philip, parallel Philip, idea. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes. And then, and just let me just pause for a second. Sure. Isaiah, if you want to really study who Jesus is, go to Isaiah chapters 40 through 48, mm-hmm. where God claims there is no other God beside me. Okay. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no other God beside me. Only only I can be worshipped. You can worship yes. no other God. Set no other God before me. It is the exact same wording in the book of Revelation where yep. Jesus, and by the way, the book of Revelation starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes. That's the name of the book. Yes. Which means that if you get all the way to the end of the Bible, and Jesus is finally saying, like, okay, if you haven't gotten gotten it by now, <laughs> I'm going to reveal who I really am. I am the Alpha and the Omega, yeah. and there was no other God beside me. And in the <clears throat> moment that Thomas got down on his knees and he worshipped Jesus in the book of Luke, the moment that Jesus didn't say, please don't worship me, mm. is the moment that Jesus is either fully God or a fraud in a sinner. Whoa, I never thought There's of that. There's no other option. He accepts worship, and only God can accept worship. How about the, um, the rich young ruler who says, good master, good master, and Jesus says, why callest thou me good? There's only one good but God. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And so in the Gospel of John, getting back to the chiasm, in chapter 3, there's this thing that all things were made by him, it says. The parallel to that is in chapter 17, it says, you know, for the law was given by Moses, but grace came by Jesus Christ. And so you're going to see a pattern here. The first half of this chiastic structure is going to be things of this earth, things of this flesh primarily the first creation. And the second half of this chiasm is going to be God's new creation. 
So this is why the book, uh, the Gospel of John, starts with in the beginning, because it's a parallel of Genesis. And how Genesis is the account of the first creation, the Gospel of John is the account of the second creation. So I want to know the starting point for the second creation. When is God going to start the second creation, Mark? This is what you should be asking yourself. <laughs> but let's move a little closer to the center here. So in verse 4, it says, in him oh, was life. Nicodemus. In him was life. And then if you look in chapter 16, it says, in of the fullness of him or the fullness of his life, we have him. Get a little closer. In 6, it says, there is a man named John. Well, the parallel to that is the testimony of John in 15. John bore witness of him. So you've got John mentioned both times. Getting a little closer to the center, in chapter 9, it says, the light that cometh into the world. The parallel to that is in verse 14. And the word was made flesh. He came into this world. Let's get a little closer. In 7, it goes back and it, it says, I'm sorry, in verse 10, it says, he was in the world. And the parallel to that is he was of God in verse 13. So we're all in chapter what right now? I'm in chapter 1. Okay, you had said chapter 9 earlier. So I'm you, sorry. Chapter, chapter one. 1, verse <laughs> 9 I meant. So if you look in verse 11 of chapter 1, it says, Unto his own he, who received him not. He came unto his own and they received him not. That's the flesh. That's the first creation. That's Israel. Mm-hmm. Right? The parallel to that, the spiritual aspect of that, is 13. No. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, oh, but the will, but of, the God. will of God. Hmm. So you got the flesh and God. Mm-hmm. And this is Adam's creation is fleshly. The new creation is spiritual. Hmm. So getting a little closer to the center, it says, but as many as received him. The parallel is, is, is in that same verse, even to those who believed in his name. And the center is, to them, he gave them the power to become Children sons of God. God. Mm. In the center of this passage, the difference between the old creation and the new creation is belief. And do you know why? Wait, they, be- they had to believe in the first creation? Or they well, had unbelief? Belief is the center. Oh, they had unbelief prior. This is the point. In the first creation, what's the last thing God created? Man. Yes. What is the first thing he creates in the new creation? A new man through belief. Mm. We are living proof of the second creation. We are the first fruits of this new world. We're not of this world. Mm. He's created us first, and then in the, the end of the Bible, he creates the whole world around us. Whoa. So we are the first fruits of the new creation. Oh, whoa. So the first creation, he creates the world first, and then he creates man. The second, he creates us first, yes. and then creates the world around us. And he does it through what? Believing on his name. So this Gospel of John, the whole theme is belief and believing on his name. So so the idea is John writes it so that you may believe he's the Son of God and in believing have what? Eternal life. And what is eternal life? Living into the next world, seeing the next world, new life, lasting life. What's that have to do with Christmas? All right. This is why Jesus came into the world. Christmas is the beginning of the new creation. It's the beginning of the second creation that we're celebrating. And so the celebration of Christmas is the celebration of new life. Hmm. And so wow. it's a celebration of, of, of hope, of we're not of this world. We're, and so what we're doing is we're celebrating the eternal things. And we're the ones he came to. So when little, little kid in the manger, little baby in the manger, when you look at that, you're not looking at a little baby. 
you're looking at a king sent on a rescue mission to lead people marching out of this world and into the next. It's literally, literally the Garden of Eden. God has come to dwell with us again. Hmm. And we will dwell with him again in eternity. You know, it's interesting. He comes as a little baby, but he comes as the king. That's what they were looking for. Yes. Who is this king, right? The wise yes. men are looking yes. for a king. And what's interesting is when the angels appear, the angels appear as a heavenly host, host. which is not a choir, which is a military host. Yes. Yes. So, so when you look at this story. Whoa, okay. this is amazing. They come as a military host fighting against who? This world, the devil, the yeah. powers of the evil. Yeah. They come as a military host and they're announced as one. And this is why they, the shepherds are afraid. Can you imagine like nine foot tall men with these huge <laughs> swords and this armor looking like, you know, they're going to yeah. kill you and yeah. they're all there. Yeah. And, they, and you know what they say? They say, rejoice, be glad he's come to save you. And it says peace towards men of goodwill. Oh, this is so good. They're offering a peace treaty yes. for those that are willing to well, surrender to him. Even more. You know what happened in Rome when you when you invaded, when Rome invaded a place? The Roman priests would go, and they would go to the line of the country, and they would announce their gods, and then they would cross. In every city, they would invite people. From every city, they'd invite the gods of that city to come out and join them in Rome. But what the angels are doing is in calling out to people to say, leave this world and come join the king. Have peace. Mm. He's offering peace. That's really cool. It's an invasion. It's a taking over, just like the rock that's growing up and yeah. taking over. Mm. So Christmas is, is a celebration of the moment that God invaded our world. But more than that, he's coming to live with us again, mm. just like he did in the Garden of Eden. Mm. And so we went back to Genesis in the class. We talked about sin and the effects of sin. And how we hate it. You know, Mark, I hate sin. Mm, me too. I hate, I hate, I hate my sin. I hate that my family dies. Mm-hmm. Family members have died. I hate that. I hate that my kids could die. I hate that I do such dumb things to hurt people I love. Mm-hmm. I hate that, that, that sin tears up mm-hmm. relationships. I hate that people who are believers won't talk to me because sin has come in our relationship and mm-hmm. it's broken us up. I hate it. So when you read Genesis 3, right? You're reading a story about the entry of sin into the world. Well, there's the immediately after the Lord finds man sinning. He curses three things, the serpent, the woman, and the man. Well, he doesn't curse the woman. He makes her in sorrow, she'll bring forth yes. well, children in sorrow, he'll bring forth the fruit of the ground. But with the serpent, he gives a promise. And the promise is this, you shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Mm-hmm. And so immediately when you look at that story and in, in, in your temptation is to think God's angry, he's mad, and he's, he's punishing us, right? Well, that's not the case because he's telling us he's dealing with sin. You know why he's upset? Not because he's an angry God and because we're so dumb and stupid and foolish. He's upset because he loves us. And that's why he's redeeming us. So Christmas is a story about a God who loves and who has come to deal with this problem of sin Mm. so that one day we can return to dwell with him without sin. Mm. That's beautiful. And so everything you hate in this world, Christmas is a righteous raising of your fist against it and saying, no more someday. We have the king. He's here. He's died for our sins and no more. He has entered into the world, and he's not going to stop till he's finished it. No, we have the privilege of celebrating this at the highest level to let others know that we have 
been given the greatest gift of all. God gave his only son. And I think that changes things because it's mm. not just a manger scene of a little baby being born like we do all these plays. It's really, it's, it's, you know what's interesting is that Jesus was probably placed, the manger was probably made of rock. Yeah. It wasn't the wooden. Yep. And that rock would have represented a, um, a burial tomb. You know, so in, in the in the the swaddling clothes would have represented him being wrapped in his burial clothes. Mm. And so the the baby, here's this baby dressed in a way that he's actually ready to die. Yeah. Before he comes to the cross, he was preparing to die even when he was born here on earth. Yes. Born to die to save the sons of men. It, isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And when you see Jesus coming in the in the manger what you need to see is those assumptions in the garden that Adam and Eve made, that God is angry, that he doesn't love us, mm. that he's upset with us, Keeping that he's from an you. angry God, and that he's not good, mm-hmm. are all wrong. Every single one of them is wrong. He is a good God. He does love us. He will dwell with us again, and the child is proof of that. Mm. God is good. He works all things together for good. He keeps his promises, and God will allow suffering so that we can experience his lavish love. Yeah. Hmm. Colin, thanks so much. Thank you, Mark. That's thanks for having me. a different take on Christmas than I've ever heard before. I really like the, the military stuff that he came as the King of Kings. Yep. And he was, in, and the angels were saying, here's the peace treaty. Yep. Come on our side. I have a king that's going to be established yeah. here on earth. Because Jesus doesn't say he came. He says he came to bring the sword. Yeah. And you're like, well, then how is he the Prince of Peace? Well, he's the Prince of Peace because peace to men of goodwill, Ooh. upon whom God has fixed his good mm. intentions. People that turn from their own ways. Because yes. people at heart are rebels against God. Yes, yes. But men of whom God has lavished his love on, who have believed upon the Savior, they have peace with God now. You know, I'm going to read, in closing here, I'm going to read Psalm chapter 2, um, because it really represents everything we've just talked about here. So Psalm chapter 2, it starts off with... Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? So mm. so it starts off with this, you know, in Psalm chapter 1, you know, it's that you will be like trees planted by the rivers of water. You know, my son, don't mm-hmm. let sinners entice you. You know, just, you know, don't walk with them. Don't talk with them. Don't sit with them, right? You know you know what really strikes me about Psalm 2, Psalm 1 around Christmas time? Hmm. In the beginning, it's blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, near stands in the path of the sinner. Mm-hmm. The 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 idea here is the word for evil ra and the word for blessed asha are so close. Hmm. And you know what's so hard in this world? So hard to tell the difference between someone who's blessed and someone who's wicked. Because the world is telling us all these wicked people are blessed. Look at these Hollywood celebrities. Look at these millionaires and billionaires. And at Christmas time they're saying, look at all these people with these presents and these holiday commercials. But the Bible says, you know what it means to be happy? To meditate on God's word day and night. And I think that's how you have a Merry Christmas. You don't focus on the presence and the materialism and all that nonsense that the world, it's wickedness. You focus on the gift that you've already been given that can never be taken away from you. Here's the thing. You need to know what makes you blessed in your life. And it's meditating on these words, all the Psalms. Mm, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his, in his law, he meditates day and night. Yeah. You only have to memorize or meditate on the Bible twice a day, by the way, day, oh. day and night. Okay, <laughs> well, so it's interesting. So I was looking at the root words, and I didn't yeah. see it in the root words. It's not there. Yes. But in the actual Hebrew vocabulary, 
the similarities are there. That's really good. I think it's an alliteration on purpose that's meant to, you know, things are so close. Yeah. Well, I think in the world, it's so close between wickedness and, and goodness. It's so hard for young people to see through that. And they just look and they see all these people with these, you know, money mm -hmm. and riches and fame and having a lot of fun and dating all these people and going around the world. But what they don't know is that's not true happiness. You know, it's interesting. It takes discernment to know true happiness. There you go. Okay, discernment is the key. Yes. My When my kids were young, we lived near um, a doctor. Uh, we li Actually, we lived near several doctors. And their Christmas parties were mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah. And I'll never forget my one of my children just you could see that he always felt kind of almost ashamed of us because yeah. we had nothing. You know, mm. Debbie would be in there baking Christmas cookies, you know, and, and we decorated our house. It was really, our house was, I loved it. It was adorable, right? Mm -hmm. But we didn't have a lot. You know, we went down, cut our own little tree in the woods, you know, the best one we could find oh, was free. Those are the best memories when you had no money. But, but don't, I, young people out there who have young kids, enjoy. Yeah. You will, you will look back fondly. But, but it was really difficult because there, these were such lavish, and there were cars, 50 yeah. cars lined up in their driveway mm. with all these people, you know? Yeah. But I'll never forget, Debbie and I were invited to go to one um, after many years, and we, <laughs> got, and we got there. I felt so out of place yeah. because it, it, there was no mention of, of what Christmas was all about. Yeah. It was drinking, and, you know, it was just, it was a drinking party is what it was. Yeah. And um, and I remember my one of my children just seeing like the trampoline in the house with the one of their children got and the big six foot large TV screen and, mm -hmm. and the Xbox stuff and all this stuff and it had such a pull on him. He, there was no way to tell him that this stuff was a counterfeit. Yeah, you know the only way that you can see the counterfeit is to experience the real thing. Do you know how tricky the world is at Christmas time? You know how they get you to hate Christmas? They reproduce Christmas in a counterfeit form. Let mm -hmm. me give you an example. Everyone knows the song Silver and Gold, Silver and Gold. What means more than this? And they say presents and decorations on the Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. But you know what Peter says? What's more than precious than silver and gold but the blood of Jesus Christ through which mm -hmm. he bought redemption. Mm -hmm. So they took the, blood, the silver and gold from Peter and they turned it to materialism but also fleshly desires of this world. Mm -hmm. And they took out the blood of Jesus Christ. And the way to enjoy Christmas is have discernment and say, you know what? Forget your presents and Christmas trees and all that. I'm going for Jesus. And then I can truly enjoy the rest of that. Hmm. Rightly. Okay. We're going to close this out in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing or an empty thing? And that's what people do. It, you know, the, the unsaved world. They don't have any real meaning beyond their material possessions yes and so it's vain yep. and the heathen rage you know which is interesting they um <laughs> now mark have you ever seen someone rage like this be honest yeah because it's it's more than just it's... but have you ever seen the nation's rage mm, i mean Russia seems to be doing that almost right now. I think we do, too. Oh, the United States. <laughs> I think we've oh, been pretty yeah. rage-filled at times, yeah. too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, have you ever seen anyone at Christmas time in line 
getting presents. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Angry. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Full of rage. Yeah. Sorry, this is just my Christmas rant. Okay, so that's what that's what <laughs> You can cut this here, out. Here in Psalm 2. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. I'd leave it in. Psalm 2, 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord, mm. against Yahweh, and against his anointed, which would be mm. Je- which would be Jesus. Jesus, yeah. So, so the kings of the earth are setting themselves, and their counselors setting themselves against Yahweh and His anointed. And then they say this: Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh; the Lord shall have them in derision. Yeah. Then He shall speak unto them in His wrath, in His wrath and vex them with sore displeasure. It's interesting. It's using the word, he's going to vex them, torture, tear apart. Mm -hmm. Yet have I, I love this, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So here is the father setting his son as king on his holy hill in Zion. I will declare his decree. So now the father's going to declare the decree of the son. The, The Lord, Yahweh, has said unto me, the son, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Hmm. So this is this is the this is a Christmas psalm. Yes. Today I have begotten thee, and, and it's recorded exactly with the same words in the Gospels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, verse eight: Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron; thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So this king who is going to um, give his life, he is going to eventually... Mark, Mark, did you see what just happened in verse 9? What? Iron and clay. Oh, cool. Whoa. Back to Daniel's vision. Daniel's vision. Oh, wow. Or, or Nebuchadnezzar's vision. What is, vision. What is this, the rock replace, is smash and replace, iron and clay? But go ahead. Sorry. That's I don't really... know if that's true connection or not. Oh, but that's just... interesting. Um, we'll to see later. Verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed... You judges of the earth. Yeah. And what are they instructing them with? That there's a son to deal with who is a king. Serve the Lord Yahweh with fear and rejoice, rejoice with trembling. And the fear of the Lord's beginning of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Verse 12, last verse. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. This comes down to a, um, a, hum- a humbling of oneself that they have to kneel before this son. Mm-hmm. The, the son of God, and uh, they're going to kneel before him. They're going to kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed, notice how this ends. So chapter 1 and chapter 2 begin and end oh, with blessed. Wow. The, whole, the whole chapter 1 is the introductory Psalms, oh, wow. 1 and 2, and it frames it with the word blessed. If you want to truly be blessed, blessed are all they who put their trust in him, which goes back to your center of believing. That's what makes the difference. Amen. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. <laughs> I love it. Merry uh, Christmas, Mark. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Colin. That was great. God bless and Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts.
If you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit lamplighter.net slash podcast and fill out the form. That's lamplighter.net slash podcast.